Well, hello, everyone. Welcome today, and we're so glad that you're here and a part of this experience of worship. Let me ask you a question as we get started. Who or what is supreme in your life? In other words, if you could just boil it all down to the bottom line, what is the most important thing in the world to you? Who or what is supreme? You know, in this particular culture in the United States, we talk about things that are supreme. For instance, when you think of the judicial system and courts, we have different levels of courts, and each of them has different levels of authority. But then we speak of the supreme court. It's the one that has superior power and authority over all other courts. It's the highest in the land, supreme. Or we may talk about supreme sacrifice. Those 13 servicemen and women who were killed recently in the attack at the airport in Kabul, Afghanistan, we, we rightly look to them as heroes and we pray for their families and we honor them because we say, they paid the supreme sacrifice. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean that they gave their own lives. It's the highest sacrifice of all. It's supreme. Or I think we think about what is the supreme joy in life or the supreme happiness. Victor Hugo made what has become a very popular statement when he said, you know, the supreme happiness in life is that conviction of being loved for yourself, or more correctly, in spite of yourself. And I think we think about that and go, you know, that's right. I, I want some people in my life who, in spite of all my blind spots and all my peccadilloes and foibles and all of, all of my downsides and bad habits or whatever, they love me in spite of all that stuff. And we say, wow, that, humanly speaking, has got to be the supreme happiness. So here's the deal. We admire, we respect, we seek that which is supreme, especially when it comes to our own joy and happiness. I googled in Merriam-Webster's dictionary what the definition was of supreme, and it said something like this. It said, that which is highest in rank or authority, highest in degree or quality. Now, today's passage in the Bible makes an astounding statement. It says that Jesus Christ is not just supreme over courts or sacrifice or happiness or any other human realm, today's passage makes the audacious statement that Jesus Christ is supreme over all. And as we unpack this today, I want you to know this is one of the great Christological passages in all the Bible. In fact, it was an early hymn Literally, it was a song. These are the lyrics to a song we're going to be looking at today that was sung by the early Christians in the first decades of Christianity. 
And what I mean by a Christological passage, it teaches us who Jesus is and, and what he came to do and what his purpose was. So as we jump in today, I invite you to grab your Bible and I want us to explore three important aspects of the supremacy of Christ. First of all, let's talk about the supremacy of Christ in creation. Now, there are five statements here, and I'm literally going to walk verse by verse, starting in verse 15. And I like it when we can take our outline just right out of the Bible. So that's, that's literally what I'm going to do. The first statement is, he is the image of the invisible God. And I get that from verse 15, which says just that. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. A little girl in kindergarten class was drawing during a, an art time in the class. And the teacher said, well, what are you drawing there? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. She said, they will when they see my picture. <laughs> yeah. Hey, have you ever looked out at night on a starlit night and wondered what God is like? Boy, I have. What is God like? Is God a sadistic, angry tyrant of this universe? Or is God more like a benevolent, kind grandfather who kind of dotes over us? Well, this passage says, if you want to really know what God is like, we look at Jesus Christ. And that's so significant because, you see, we can look at the universe, at creation itself, and we can know something about God's power and omnipotence. But it's only when we look at Jesus that we see clearly what God's personality is like and something about the mercy and compassion of God. The second statement here is that he is the firstborn over all creation. I take that from the last part of verse 15, which says, he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, you might want to circle that word firstborn. It's very interesting. When we think of firstborn, we think of a firstborn child, for instance, the one who came first in chronology, in time. And it can mean that in the Bible, but the word firstborn often means not first chronologically, but the first in importance. For instance, Scripture calls Solomon the firstborn of David. Well, Solomon wasn't the firstborn chronologically. I mean, there was Absalom, there was Amnon. Others were born before Solomon, but Solomon was the firstborn in that he was the most important. He's the one who was the heir of the throne. And so this says that Christ was the firstborn over creation. He's the most important figure in all of creation. Next, it says, by him all things were created. I'm looking at verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. By the way, in another passage, we could turn to John chapter 1, John's gospel. It makes this statement, without him was not anything made that has been made. Now think of that. Jesus was the creative agent in the 
beginning, bringing the universe into being. Now, that's important because it means that when he walked on the face of the earth, the incredible things he did is because of who he was. He had the authority to do that. For instance, he looked at a fig tree that was not bearing fruit. He cursed that fig tree and it withered. Why? Because he had authority over it. That's why he could stand in a boat in the midst of a raging storm and say, peace be still. And even the wind and the waves obeyed him. That's why he could look at a man who had a withered, paralyzed hand, and he could speak to that and say, be made whole. And the man's hand became whole because he knew every sinew and fiber Every blood vessel in that hand, he had designed it. He had authority over it. And that's why, by the way, Jesus, while he walked this planet, could say to fallen angels called demons who are inhabiting a man and controlling his life and destroying him, he could say, be cast out and go into these pigs. And even the demons obeyed him. He is the supreme one in all of creation. And that's why it goes on to say in verse 16 here, all things were created by him and for him. That's verse 16. Think of that. All things were created by him and for him. Now, here's the importance of that. He didn't just create things. He created things for a purpose. I believe our world is grasping and grappling for meaning. I believe that people, and sadly, I think this especially impacts millennials and Gen Z in our culture, the younger ones among us. I think that more than any other generations, they're grasping for meaning in life. Hear me. Because Jesus is supreme and because he created all things with a purpose, it means that every day is infused with meaning. Christ follower, everything that God allows or directs in your life, he allows or directs for a purpose. And boy, that ought to give you some joy. That means this life is not some meaningless question mark. You are not some ant floating around on a log in the middle of the ocean without any direction, without any meaning in life. Ultimately, God has a purpose and a meaning for you, even though you and I may not always see it. And every day is infused with meaning. One of the wonderful things about all of this is as we increasingly discover God's purposes for us, and as we give him praise and honor and worship him, that's where our joy ultimately comes from as we praise the one who made all things for a purpose. But then it goes on, and it makes this statement, in him, oh, this is a good one. <laughs> in him, all things hold together. That's verse 17 here. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Together. Now, theologians debate, what exactly does that mean? Is he literally holding every molecule together somehow personally? Well, it could mean that. 
Is he the one who is, by his own power, restraining planets from being hurled out into space? Could be. I think what it probably means is that as the creator, he has designed laws that govern his universe. And there's a natural order to God's world that he created. Now, let me say on a very personal level, this is more than just a cosmic lesson. I know for a fact, being a pastor and knowing the story of so many of you and so many of your families, I know for a fact that there are families represented here today where Jesus Christ is the bond that mystically holds your family together. Without Christ at the center, you would implode or explode, trust me. But he's holding you together. I can also say I know some businesses represented in this church who are built on Christian values for the glory of God, and Christ is the one that is holding that company together. Can I get a little more personal? (laughs) Some of you have marriages that would not have a chance to make it if it were not Christ holding your marriage together. And the good news is that when any couple, both, when both partners turn to Christ and look to Christ and obey his guidance and direction, he can make you compatible. He can hold you together. He can bring something marvelous out of the misery and the chaos of your relationship because he's the one. Who holds it together? And I just want to give even a more personal testimony in my own life. I can tell you, friends, that life ain't easy. Anybody feel me today? Life ain't easy. At least mine hasn't been. I don't feel like every day is like a walk in the park. Every day is goosebumps and glory. So can I tell you, if it were not for Jesus Christ in some of my most depressing moments, And some of my most desperate situations where I felt, look, it's all falling apart. If it were not for Jesus at the center of my life, I could not have made it because he held me together. And some of you could stand and give that same glorious testimony. You know your story. You know that without Christ, it would all fall completely Apart. Now, now why, why is all of that so important? Well, here's why. Because we live in a world that increasingly, just keeping it real, does not understand that. In fact, just want to let you know where our culture is going. We live in a world that is increasingly, in our United States culture, that is increasingly humanistic and does not look to God at all as the source and the center and the strength for our lives. For instance, you've probably heard that Harvard University's new chief chaplain, the chief chaplain at Harvard University, our oldest university in the nation, is an atheist. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds rather oxymoronic to me. I mean, at least historically speaking, when you use the word chaplain, you're talking about someone who not only believes in God, but points men and women to God for strength and meaning. But 
The new chief chaplain, Greg Epstein, is an atheist. And in his book, Good Without God, makes this statement, and I quote, the responsibility for our lives and the kind of world in which we live is ours and ours alone. We don't look to a God for answers. Don't be looking to God now, anybody. It's the chaplain here. We are each other's answers. And I just want to say, how's that working for you? I mean, is that really going to take you through the vicissitudes of life? Now, don't get me wrong. God calls us to do our part. Of course, we are there in support of other people, and we are to help carry each other's burdens. Amen and amen. But let's never forget, he's the one who's holding it all together, not us. And if we ever lose sight of that, trust me, we are going down a road of destruction. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, and without him, all things would come unraveled. But second, I wanna turn your attention and invite you to explore with me not only the supremacy of Christ in creation, but now let's focus on the supremacy of Christ in the church. This gets very interesting. I'm looking now at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Now, the word head there can mean the source. It can also mean the overseer or the ruler. And the point I want to make to you is that no mere human is the head of the church. Sometimes people will see the Pope speaking from the Vatican and they'll point and go, there's the head of the church. Or to my utter horror, <laughs> sometimes people, believe it or not, will actually look at Grace Fellowship and they'll point to me and go, there's the head of the church. That is absolutely wrong. Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. Now, let's spend a minute here because this is so important, folks. He uses here a statement. He makes a statement that we are his body. And some people say, well, well, that's just a nice metaphor being used there. But he doesn't say we're like the body of Christ, which would mean it was just mere metaphor. He says, he makes the statement, we are. It says the church is the body of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Let's talk about it for a minute. It's real important. What makes this body my body is that my life inhabits it. And I would tell you that what makes the church the body of Christ is that his life inhabits it. Now listen, if I'm in charge, if I'm supreme over my body, I can do what I want to with the parts of my body. I can if I'm supreme. If I'm the head, I can take this hand and I can punch someone and inflict pain. Or I can take this very same hand and I can put it on a hurting person on their shoulder and, and bring some comfort from the touch of my hand. Now listen carefully. The moment you come to Christ, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit, this is what the Bible says, comes to indwell you. You literally become a temple of the Holy Spirit. His life, 
His very life is now in your body. Isn't that a freaky idea? That you, you literally have the Lord with you everywhere you go. You literally are the temple walking around. And so here what, here's what it means. I no longer am calling the shots for what my body's going to do. He's now the head of the body. And that's true both individually of our personal lives. It's also true corporately of the church. He is supreme. He's in charge. So now here's the implication. My hand ceases to have an agenda of its own. Are you with me on this? I no longer am calling the shots once I come to Christ. I'm now under the agenda and the intent of the head who is Christ. That's, by the way, why Paul says in Romans 6 that once we come to Christ, our body, we're to yield it. We're literally to become instruments for righteousness. Oh, this is so incredibly important. Now, here's the warning. Many of you are physical therapists. A number of you are medical doctors or specialists of one kind or another. We have an astounding percentage of people at Grace who, as far as I can tell, work in the medical professions. I know many of you personally. And you know, because you've observed it, worked with it, etc., you know that a body can become dysfunctional, right? And I can't explain it medically like you can, but somehow the body, the nerve center, and the tissues have become disconnected. And so the head knows what to do, but somehow that impulse, that command, that impression doesn't get through to the members of the body. And so if my hand is dysfunctional, I, uh, I, want, I want it to do something, but it just can't do it because it's become dysfunctional. Friends, I tell you, we can become that way as Christ followers. Christ is the head, that's for sure, but we become so disconnected, so cut off, we are actually incapable functionally of doing what he wants us to do, and that is tragic indeed. So so what's the therefore from all this? Our number one privilege An awesome responsibility is to stay connected to the head. Pastor Rex, what is my job description this week? Pastor Rex, what is God saying to me today that I ought to do today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day? Stay connected to the head. That's it. That's what scripture means when it says abide in Christ and you'll bear fruit. Stay connected to him. Stay intimate with him so that you're getting direction and guidance from the head who is Christ. He goes on here in verse 18 and says, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Again, I call your attention to that word firstborn. Remember, we said it doesn't necessarily mean in chronology, So when it says he's the firstborn from the dead, it doesn't mean he was the first one ever to be raised. If you think about it, Elijah was used by God to raise the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. So that happened before Christ was raised from the dead. Christ himself in his earthly ministry raised Lazarus and two others from the dead. So he was not the first 
to be raised from the dead, but he was the first in importance. Watch me now. This is really important. The scripture teaches that one day you're going to be raised from the dead. Your body is going to be raised from the dead if you die before Christ returns. And scripture also says that Christ's resurrection is like a first fruits. That means it's a prototype of what's going to happen to you one day if you died in Christ. So what does it mean, first fruits? Jesus was the first of a kind. All the other people that were raised, it's like they were resuscitated only to die again. But Jesus was the first ever to be raised from the grave, never to die again. That makes him unique. And your resurrection one day is just going to be like that. We've got to understand why his resurrection was so important. Buddha did not rise from the grave. Confucius did not rise from the grave. Mohammed did not rise from the grave. Moses did not rise from the grave. In fact, other than Elvis Presley, I don't know anybody who's risen from the grave except Jesus Christ. Just having a little fun, seeing if you're still awake out there. All right? He's the supreme one over the church. But Paul goes on here. This passage is so rich. It's so rich. He goes on here in verse 18, and it says he's the firstborn from among the dead so that everything, he might, here's your word, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. When Jesus was baptized, in the River Jordan, you may remember there was a voice from heaven, and God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well. Please look at him. Listen to him. God was saying, he's the standard. He's what I had in mind when I made you. And when we exalt him, God the Father is pleased. He goes on in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. His blood shed on the cross. It is so incredible that the creator of the universe came down, became a human, lived a perfect life, but his creatures, those he had designed, his creatures seized him arrested him, beat him, mocked him, put a crown of thorns on his head, spat in his face, lacerated his back with the whip, elevated him on a cross, spikes through hands and feet, put a spear in his side, and mocked the creator. Think of that. The creator mocked by the pathetic creatures. Why? Why would he do that? He did it for you, for me. The justice of God would be satisfied. Sins could be atoned for. We could be forgiven and free. 
No one else would have done that for you. Hear me, no one else could do that for you. He was the only one who was qualified to be the supreme sacrifice. Now, brothers and sisters, when you look around you in the sanctuary today, if you'll look carefully, I will tell you, you're going to see people from just about every age category. You're going to see people from all kinds of different socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, families of origin. You're going to see people with various aptitudes and giftings. You're going to see people with all kinds of vocations and interests in life. What, what could possibly bring a people like this together? Jesus Christ reconciled us together at the cross. And it doesn't matter what our pedigree is. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And it doesn't matter what you've done or not done. It doesn't matter what has gone on in your life. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven and beloved. And that's why he is supreme in the church. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he alone brings us together. Hallelujah to his name. But as we go down our home stretch today, I want us to see not only the supremacy of Christ in creation, his supremacy in the church, which is his body, but last, I want us to think just briefly about the supremacy of Christ in the individual Christ follower. This gets really personal, okay? Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I want you to, I want you to note those two words, alienated and enemies, alienated and enemies. If you want to know what we were like before we came to Christ, that pretty much sums it up. We were alienated and we were enemies. You say, pastor, I'm offended by that. I was never God's enemy. You faked it really well. You see, we, keep, we shut God out in all kinds of ways, but we do it benignly. We might never overtly curse God, shake our fists and say, get out of my life. I want nothing to you, do with you, God. But we ignore his promptings. And when we feel conviction, we just slough it off and keep doing our own thing. And even when God is giving all kinds of things in our lives to try to get our attention, we still continue to do our own things. We resist God in all kinds of ways. But look at what he's done in verse 22. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Years ago, I heard a quaint little story, but boy, I've never forgotten it. That's what an impression it made on my mind. A story about a little boy out in the country who went to one of these one-room schoolhouses. Have you ever heard of those? It's some, like something you see on Little House on the Prairie or something. But believe it or not, both of my parents, as well as four, get this, four of my six siblings all attended a one-room schoolhouse for at least a portion of their lives. So it really wasn't that 
long ago or far away. And this little boy just hated his teacher. I mean, he hated her. And he hated school. And so when he got his, his workbook, instead of writing down good notes, he wrote cartoons, made fun of the teacher, and made ugly comments and wrote ugly words in the margin. But then, about three weeks in, the teacher kind of won the little boy over. And suddenly he had a different attitude and he kind of enjoyed school and he started doing things rightly. But after that first six weeks, oh, he dreaded that parents' night. You know those parent-teacher conferences, whoop, where the parents come in and have a conference with the teacher and talk about how the student is doing. Oh, he dreaded that. And so he watched from a distance as his parents walked over to his desk and picked up his workbook, and oh, he was cringing. He was sweating bullets as they started leafing through it. But instead of scowls and anger, he saw nods and smiles of approval. And so when they put it down on the desk, he rushed over, opened up his workbook, only to see that the teacher had torn out all the bad pages and left only the positive pages for his parents to see. That's what God did for us through Christ's physical death on the cross. He ripped out all the bad pages, buried our sin in the deepest sea, canceled it all to remember them no more, and now we are free from accusation. Oh, I hope you understand what that means for you. You know, we read passages like this in the Bible, and I think that sometimes it's just words. It's just like wah, 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 wah. We just get lost. Do you understand what that means? No more condemnation. And yet I know for a fact that Satan is condemning some of you. He comes to you every single week of your life, and you feel this condemnation overwhelming you. That's not from God. God brings conviction when we sin, but not condemnation. There is a big difference, folks. So don't let the accuser take you down and depress you and discourage you because there's no more condemnation in Christ. That's what this is teaching. You're free from accusation. Oh, the devil would love to take you down. In fact, he'd love to stand on judgment day and accuse you before God the Father, but there's absolutely no basis for it. Because Christ has ripped all of those bad pages out of your book to remember them no more. But finally, this passage speaks not only of the forgiveness that he brings, but it speaks of the lordship that he deserves and demands. Verse 23 here is given, it's our last verse, almost like a condition if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has proclaimed, been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now listen, that does not mean that you have to live a perfect life in order to stay in Christ. If you did, no one would qualify, least of all me, Salvation is not based on our performance, but it does mean that when a saving faith is present, we continue to trust in Christ, and we look to him daily and say, Lord, keep on transforming me, transforming me from the inside out. So let me come full circle as we close. It's all about Jesus. He started it. 
He sustains it, and trust me, he's going to finish it. Any way you slice it, it's all about him. And so here's his invitation to you today and to me. Are you hungry? Come to me, I'm the bread of life. Are you weary and burdened? Hey, come to me, take my yoke on you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Are you on the outside and you wanna come in? Hey, I'm the door, Jesus says, come through me. If you're wandering around not knowing which way you should go, Jesus says, look, I'm the good shepherd. I will show you the way, I'll guide you. To those who are spiritually dead, he says, I am the life. To those who are in darkness, he says, hey, I'm the light. I'll turn on the light in your life. To those who are confused, he says, I am the truth. And to those who are lost, he says, I am the way. Jesus is the center and the source for everything we need in this life. So here's my final word to you. I have never known a time in my life when Christians are more divided. Never have. We're divided over politics. We're divided over moral and doctrinal and lifestyle issues. All divided over these things. We're divided over how we should respond exactly to the pandemic or whether it even deserves a response at all. And the only remedy I know in days like this is to come together humbly and broken at the foot of the cross because he is the one who is supreme in creation, supreme in the church, and supreme in our individual lives. He's the one, thank you, Lord God, who's holding it all together. So, Father, we praise you today. We praise you, and we thank you that you are holding it all together through Christ our Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us our sins through the physical death of Christ at the cross. I thank you that there are literally hundreds of people in this body that could stand and courageously and joyfully testify to the transformation you've made in their lives. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. And yet I'm also just as excited that you aren't finished with us yet. As we daily come to you and say, Lord, would you close that gap between my profession and my practice? Would you bring true holiness into my life in a subjective sense that would be more honoring to you? Thank you that you do that by your grace. So I pray in these days, you would bring us humbly and broken to the foot of the cross and help us never to get our eyes off you because you alone are supreme. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.